0: Hello and welcome to Happy Times and Places, which is a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydoke, ask a special guest to choose their favourite things about a Doctor Who story. I have to then guess what they are.
1: Hello Toby and hello everyone. My name is Richard Bignall. I am the editor of Nothing at the End of the Lane, the Doctor Who magazine of research and restoration. I was one of Doctor Who magazine's original time team along with Jacqueline Rayner, Clay Hickman and Peter Ware and for the past 20 years I've been working as part of the team producing the BBC range of Doctor Who DVD and Blu-ray releases. Now for those I produced a majority of the now and then location features. I act as a researcher and advisor to a lot of the content producers. Uh, I've written production subtitles. And now I act as the curator on the massive PDF archive that appears on the Blu-ray releases. And as of the time of recording, we put together nearly 25,000 pages worth of material on the sets. So, what adventure have I chosen for you to have a look at this time for happy times and places? Well, we're going to go back to 1975. It's a story that encompasses three different locations across two different planets, and three different time zones. From season 13, it's Pyramids of Mars. Now, why have I chosen this particular story? Well, season 13 has something of a special place in my heart. I was nine years old when this story was shown, and like many children, Doctor Who scared me witless and enthralled me at the same time. But season 13 was important for me because it was the very last time that I was genuinely terrified of the programme. You see, up to the end of The Seeds of Doom, I always watched Doctor Who from behind the safety of a security cushion. But something happened to me between seasons 13 and 14 because it was at that point that I morphed from being an enthralled viewer into being a fan. And I know that it happened then, because just when season 14 was about to begin, for the very first time, I went out and with my own money, I bought a copy of the Radio Times, just so that I could have the cuttings for the start of The Mask of Mandragora. Uh, Target's first Doctor Who monster book came out just after Pyramids of Mars had finished on television, so that probably had quite a lot to do with it as well. Now, Pyramids was also important to me in another way, because around November 1976, my parents bought me my very first cassette recorder. And at the end of that same month, the BBC showed the one-hour compilation version of Pyramids of Mars. So that marked the very first time that I ever audio-taped a Doctor Who story from the television. And I played that tape to death. Now I no longer have it anymore, but I can still see it in my mind's eye. The beige color plastic, the orange label, and my 10 year old scrawled handwriting on it. There is so much to love about this particular story, Toby. So I hope that you and everyone else will have great fun watching it again. Oh, well, thanks to Richard for all that uh, fascinating
0: detail. Richard is one of the good guys of Doctor Who, one of the best of the good guys. He's uh, he's done so much research for the DVDs and Blu-rays, and he's one of those people that everybody will occasionally have the need to ask a question of, and he's always ready with an answer. And in fact, sometimes unsolicited, he's uh, I he was researching something and he'd got a spare half an hour or he'd finished early. So while he was there, he did a load of mass scanning and uh, delving and sent it to me off his own back without me asking, without me knowing he was going to do it. He's uh, he's so helpful and he's such a nice guy. And Doctor Who uh, archaeology owes him so much, so appropriate that we're we're going to go digging uh, in uh, some stock footage of Egypt to see what's going on on Pyramids of Mars and. Um, it's usually in the top 10 in Doctor Who magazine polls and things like that. So I don't think we're going to have too much trouble with this one. Uh, this is one of the last Doctor Who stories I actually watched for pleasure. I was going to say relatively recently because it was last Christmas. I gave myself uh, a week off and watched some Doctor Who for fun. And this, this was one of them. And I, I've realized it's now November. So Christmas wasn't as recently as I thought. Talk about walking in eternity. Anyway, you're welcome. Let's set sail for Stargroves. And I don't know about you, but I watch my Pyramids of Mars on lovely uh, DVD. So I'm going to press uh, enter on play all in three, two, one. There we go. And it's beginning. So now this is a curious one for me because... uh, I had the VHS of this, which was edited together and I didn't realise at the time, not only was it edited together, it was actually had bits taken out of it. Uh, Richard referred to the hour-long cut there, which I've never seen or heard. Uh, so, I, I, And I'm sure that will be so entrenched in his memory that certain uh, scenes in this will seem like interlopers. Um, but stock footage of uh, Egypt coming up is very economical, the way it sets the scene. But um, So there are various bits that I didn't realise until... I think I, I think I knew, but I, I, I'd i not experienced the missing bits until it was then repeated when I was at university. They did some Doctor Who repeats, and uh, and I was a busy student, being young and exciting. Uh, but I still, and it was on a Sunday afternoon, I think. Uh, and so I grabbed a spare VHS. I'd taken all my Doctor Who VHSs with me. Um, to, to student and um, of course I did I carried them around in a trunk uh, and I'd got one that had got a, an E180 that had got a four-parter at the beginning and the beginning of another the first three episodes of another four-parter that I think I then got a better quality copy of somehow because I, I taped over whatever that was I think it was three episodes of Speared from Space or something um, and I and I taped episodes one and three and then I taped four on another tape that chewed up so I never, I never got to keep for properly and so i didn't actually see pyramids of mars or get used to it in its entirety till it came out on dvd so in that regard it's one of the very last so even though it's a story i'm really familiar with because i watched that edited vhs over and over again it was one of you know the first handful of stories i had because um, it was wisely uh, released on dvd uh, on vhs early um but actually what i was what i was enjoying was uh, uh, very much chopped about, and I would dare to say the chopping is not necessarily to its detriment. Now, I would always say you release the broadcast version, uh, and I certainly was, you know, cross that there were no closing credits and episode endings and stuff like that, but uh, I actually think it's quite sympathetically chopped. Um, the, the VHS version but maybe that's because it's the version I'm used to. Uh, a lot of our enjoyment of doc 2 is very subjective and born of circumstance and time and place. Uh so it's a very economical beginning we need to suggest a uh, you know a dig in Egypt a bit of superstition a bit of danger at the front you've got um uh you know two speaking actors Vic Tablian who's run off as Ahmed he's done various bits and bobs um, uh, still around. In fact, he's the only human. Uh, yeah, he's the only. Sutek and a couple of his mummies are still with us. But uh, the, rest of the, the rest of the human cast are gone, sadly. Um, Tom Baker in this See, Tom Baker and Elizabeth Sladen in this story are amazing. I adore this scene. That sort of drawn, solemn countenance that he has. I remember Doctor Who being sort of funny and a bit mad. Uh, and Tom Baker was the doctor I grew up with. I'm too young to remember this when it first went out. And it was only rediscovering him later as a grown-up that, uh, you know, that sense of sort of universal melancholy, that sort of maudlin detachment that he has that isn't boring. It's not dreary. It doesn't bring you down. It it, it has resonance. Uh, I mean, he's got that wonderful voice. He's got that wonderful frame. But look, he's 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 dressed as a lunatic but the costume works it's not zany um but it's it's a bizarre alchemy isn't it and look at yes he said, he snaps at her but you you but you th- there's never any sense that these people are squabbling in an annoying fashion uh, i mean even even when they're arguing i know there are some people that think sarah says the f word there no, she doesn't, and they would have cut that out or made her retake it if she had. She just goes "ah" oh, in that way that Elizabeth Sladen does. Um, oh, and this bit's brilliant as well—the materialising. Sutek, I think, never quite looks as good as that again, because because uh, uh, is that projected from film? It just it's just a better the, the mask just or whatever it is looks 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 very good there, um, in a way that doesn't quite sustain when we see it in the cold light of day. So beautiful close up of her looking terrified but even though he's sort of testy and grouchy at her it's as i say it's not sort of infantile squabbling that passes as characterization this is a sort of real relationship and and she reacts to it in that she sort of goes she, she behaves as if well i'm sort of used to this and this is the price that you pay for you know traveling around with a with an eccentric time lord and it's sort of water off a duck's back to her um, she always just keeps it. There's no glibness here, but it's also not melodrama. It's just a, the actors are keeping our attention. Uh, they're 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 maintaining a, a charismatic, and enjoyable dynamic that is very very watchable. Um, I, you, I would want to, I would want to travel with these two anywhere and forever. Um, and I think even the scenes where they're just, you know. Look at Tom Baker. He looks so great. And there's just, there's a slight, he doesn't bite his lip so much, but he sort of does metaphorically, if you like. He's, uh, you know, there's a there's a gritty danger to him as well. This is a terrific shot from Paddy Russell of the, of the sarcophagus. And then you, oh no, it's the sarcophagus reflected in the mirror that's on the organ that's being played by the Egyptian in a fez. I mean, it's just got all of that sort of glorious, um the sort of grand guignol you know it's 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 a Robert Holmes script even though it's you know Lewis Griefer was uh, uh wrote the uh inspiration for it and it's credited to Stephen Harris it's it's there's nothing of Griefer's in it really um uh and 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 you know it, it it's 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 all sort of literary form it's it's but you know the characters um and, and the imagery and the, you, know, you know they're they're all bred of adventure cereal but he makes them something special and he, he you know he he, he 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 writes these types they're all sort of types literary types almost pastiche but they're written and they're played absolutely straight and you can do that I mean it sounds uh, it sounds like an oxymoron like they you know are going there they're those pastiche types but you believe in them but you if a certain type of acting and writing does that and that that does this is a totally believable world contained within its own with its own sense of melodrama um uh, uh, and the actors are totally committed to it there's no sense that they're sending it up and you could easily send up any of these characters warlock could be um you, any of them could be slayed with a slight edge of comedy, and it would still work. It would be a sort of knowing, uh, but a, a, a take on the on the genre, and it is knowing, and yet nobody's trying to be funny, although. All of the performances have a certain sort of witty touch to them, but it's—they're not winking at us as they do it. It's—it's it's really cleverly judged, and it's a—it's—it's it's a style of acting and presentation of character that totally fits with Doctor Who. I think uh, there's so many. Uh, Marie Antoinette lost her head for it. I mean, there's so many little bits of, uh, uh, you, you know, witty repartee, ba- bantering back and forth between. Uh, between these two, and and then you've got the, the funny little butler character, Michael Bilton, who um, always played old men. He's an old time lord in the Deadly Assassin. He was a, he was he's 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 uh, a non-speaking part in Quatermass Two. He goes back a long way. Uh, he is also in the Massacre, where he was cast by Paddy Russell, who must have first met him when she was a production assistant on. Uh, or director's assistant on Mass 2 she might have met him uh, many times elsewhere but yeah so she she cast him in her first Doctor Who and here he is again lovely actor um had a had a late flourishing in a yellow pages commercial as as uh, as an old retainer with a with a law mower uh and was in Waiting for God with Stephanie Cole and Graham Crowden set in an old people's home um lovely character actor and again he's playing a sort of type but he's absolutely committed to it. He's absolutely delightful. You can tell Tom Baker is enjoying acting with him, which is always wonderful. When 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 Tom's sort of going, I'm I'm enjoying this performance, so I'm going to I'm going to give it a little bit of deference. Um, you can also sometimes tell, I think, when he's he's not quite so enamoured of some of his performance; he's quite dismissive of it. Uh, and this, I mean, every time you think, "Okay, well, we're just going to have to get it," you know, there's going to be a little bit of scene setting or something, or you know, something happening with the story. Um, and that's good continuity acting of Tom there. Look, and, and then he does that. He does that. he does the gets down on his haunches to walk past the windows. It's in lesser hands, that would be stupid. It's not. It's delightful. And, I, and notice his... I, I was watching an interview with Ken grieve recently where he talked about, you know, because t- I think Tom Baker likes to underplay his approach to acting and how good he is. And I think we sometimes just go, oh, well, yeah, he was just born to play the Doctor, which he was. Um, but... When he jumped out of that window he just tipped his hat to the inside now at this point he hasn't done this studio work but he's studied the script and he knows that they've just had a chat with a funny little butler that's probably going to be played by a character actor he's going to enjoy so they jump out the window and he just does a little bit of a touch the hat to go we've just come outside from talking with somebody which is a very technically uh smart piece of acting and the sort of thing you can lose track of if you're not doing especially as these actors were very much used to you know doing stuff in order uh, and it's only, you know, it's only always been the sort of bits of pre-filming uh, that, that take things out of order and, and and still very much everything's of the theatrical tradition. So, you know, he's on it. He's on it. Um, and I, yeah, I know he'd done film and stuff, but 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 generally, you know, the mindset that you're in. So that's the end of, uh, of poor dear old uh, Michael Bilton, which is rather sad because he's a very sweet character, Collins, the butler. Um, and isn't all of this sort of Egyptian relicry, I think... I mean, I... Fu- and, and, and these... Even these sort of old cases and these packing crates, it's all... Oh, this guy's very sad with his mouth open and dead. Uh, he's really committed to this, Peter Mayock. Uh, and I love the way uh, Peter Copley sort of goes, yeah, all right, with your incantations. You know, because much as we like Dr Warlock, of course, he's probably such a terrible old racist. Um... But uh, Copley's channeling that in a in a very smart way. He's another great character actor of uh, sort of going, yeah, all, all right, you 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 slightly intense uh, man from a foreign climb. I shall be a bit more British about this, um, and and you know, but there's no sense that we as the audience are are uh, dismissive of namin partially because Peter Mayock is giving a very committed and intense performance uh and this is interesting as well is, is that uh, you know nobody particularly i think objects to to this oh people object to this bit that they should anyway because it's it's obviously a polystyrene sarcophagus but again no disrespect to peter Mayock, who is acting his socks off uh to uh to to suggest that that has any sort of weight to it at all um uh, but but then has to sort of slow down and hold it in place so that it doesn't fall over um but i i love what he does with this and of course there's no way you'd cast him today he was an, he was an irishman peter Mayok. um uh but it's because his his makeup and hair uh is not uh quite as i and i love all that the egyptian thing and the uh, uh and i th- i'm not sure i'm sh- i'm not sure the incantation is in Egyptian in the script? I can't remember, but I've got I've got a feeling that might have been an addition a, a, or a change to have it actually in Egyptian rather than him say, you know, I I command you by the great god Sutek to rise or whatever it is he says, um, which again just gives it a little bit of authenticity within the within the melodrama. Uh, but it helps the melodrama because because not being in English it gives it a certain. Uh, uh, authenticity and a certain you know strangeness to us but because he delivers it so well it's authentic strangeness even though it's probably hokey and nonsense and who knows if he's pronouncing it correctly but it doesn't matter because they do it well um but because he is not as sort of blatantly under makeup as john bennett is in in the talons of wang chiang and i'm sure we'll you know i will talk about um all the issues that that raises that i'm not i'm not blind to and i'm not dismissive of. Uh, and yet, nobody—I don't think I've read many people um, moaning about Peter Mayock uh, playing an Egyptian. But it, you know, it's a similar in a fez. I mean, he's 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 quite a stereotypical uh, uh, Egyptian, but because of his his own colouring, I think, and 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 uh, it, as, and because it's less blatant uh, a, a transformation, uh, you know, it's we sort of let it go. Interesting. Uh, I say none of that. I say none of that with any judgment, um, uh, because uh, I think we can discuss uh, historical uh, depictions in television uh, like adults without getting cross. We can't change what happened then, and that things happened then that we wouldn't do now. But it doesn't mean uh, that the people that did those things then were bad, because they were at a time when that's how things were done. And hindsight is always twenty twenty, and sometimes I think you don't realise. I think it's fair to say you don't realise uh, until you, well, uh, you know. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll. I think I'll, I, I think I've got things to say about that side of things that I'll talk about with Talents Wang Chiang because I've also got a very interesting uh, guest doing that one. So let's leave that to Talents because also it's six parts now. <laughs> Loads. To, 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 uh loads of time to cover it I love all of this shot that shot of the mummy I think the mummy costumes are great just having the the bust I don't know why it, it makes it seem uh like an alien version of a mummy uh, but that the, the idea of having robotic mummies clambering around the woods I mean it's 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 sounds almost as daft not quite as daft as yet is in the underground which is another of doctor who's great uh, moments, but it works because everybody plays it properly. A lot of this stuff was uh, was cut, wasn't it, in the VHS? A lot of this uh, chase, well, and actually, it, it 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 doesn't need it, you know. And you you wouldn't have you wouldn't have this level of uh, of of footage of this of this chase today. I think Elizabeth Sladen is beautiful, and I think she looks fantastic in that costume. Um, and it's a nice, reedy little. Uh, it's not a Guiro is it? But it's a something or other. Bit of percussion from Dudley Simpson. And, yeah, uh, it doesn't lose anything from having this cut, apart from the fact that it's it's really nicely done. It's really beautifully directed, and it's very, very tense. Um, and so I perhaps only don't miss it because I was used to it not being there. Uh, lots of blood on uh, Warlock's hand as well. Uh, it's not often you see red blood in, uh, in Doctor Who. Uh, um, and... So we haven't had actually that much plot at all. But by God, it started as a lick, hasn't it? I mean, the the, the, the Doctor, we've had a great... Doctor, oh, they did they did get the... Uh, they got the apparition in the TARDIS. So you go, oh, something's afoot. And then they land and they're straight into the adventure. Um, it's funny, though, because I... Uh, I remember watching this with my... Oh, well, we can talk about him in a bit. I'll carry on my thought because I'm told I interrupt myself too often. Uh, watching this and my... My brothers, who are older than me, had and had long since dismissed Doctor Who, and you know, current Doctor Who is terrible, and it wasn't as good as when they were younger. I remember when I got this on uh, on VHS and and had this on at home, uh, and and one of my brothers sort of came in and started watching it, and he said, "Yeah, you see, this is when Doctor Who was really good," and and at a time when people were sort of still sort of look st- were starting to look at older stuff and mocking it. You know, that was a real you know that was a real affirmation or oh, my but more more pre- more egyptian or pretender egyptian it just works um uh, on all of this imagery um and it's an excellent design from Christine rusko um but then uh my uh, a few years not not long after that i had some mates around. we had a party you know we had a probably you know what six or seven of my closest friends from Fifth form? Yeah, fifth form. No, it was it was sixth form college, sixth form college. Uh, and we had a boozy night. And then I did what I do is I put a bit of Doctor Who on the next day because it was my mission to um, transform everybody into a Doctor Who fan. It was my dream for my friends to go, Toby, you're right. This is the best program ever. Tell me about the history of the Time Lords. <laughs> um and I remember them watching this, and with my brother's words echoing, you know, ringing in my ears, this is what this is good Doctor Who. Um, they they laughed at the mummies. They they thought Peter Copley was a bad actor, uh, and I realised that uh, even my closest friends would never quite understand me. <laughs> and it and they were all drama students as well, so it made me. Uh, it, it made me worried for the future. I suddenly realised that people, not everybody saw things through the same, things that were absolutely clear as a bell to me, that Peter Copley is a great character actor and that those mummies are scary uh, and and uh, a great rendition of, you know, f- fear p- placed very effectively and well designed into a, a a children's adventure serial with just the right level of plausibility and menace. Uh, and they just thought that it was rubbish. Uh, Tom Baker is at the height of his powers in this, um, and he's 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 quite horrible and he's quite alien and yet he's radio emissions from the stars, and he's an alien. Do- Tom Baker's doctor is an alien, and and I love that sort of sense of sense of vague amusement, you know. Quiet amusement he gives to it. Uh, I, I assure you, don't. But it's very nice of you to try. I, 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 I mean, I could just spend all day saying how much I, I, love Tom Baker. And this isn't nostalgia on my part, because as I say, I, I, my, my initial memories of Doctor Who come from after this. So the Doctor I remember really is uh, from season seventeen and season eighteen. But it was just a joy to go back and to discover just how much detail he brings to it, just how interesting an actor is, just how committed he is to driving the drama, keeping the character flowing. And poor old Lawrence (laughs) Scott, the way he fans it with his hat. And this costume is is brilliant. Um, Because it's a wacky costume without being wacky. Uh, It's a costume nobody else but him would wear, but that actually fits in with wherever he lands. You know, he's not like, Colin Baker or even Sylvester, whose, whose costumes I think are a little just self-consciously wacky. Uh, Sylvester's gets better when he sort of tones it down and wears a duffel coat and things like that, but it's still still a costume. I, I sort of buy what Tom Baker wears as clothes. Um, and I certainly think, you know, it's always better when the Doctor retains a silhouette um, but doesn't wear the same thing week in, week out. You know, it's not a... You know, unlike, poor, you know, poor Alpeeds Davidson, whose costume is excellent. It's an excellent design, but it's a costume. Um that, that, you know, rarely changes. And isn't that, I mean, that's very sweet that poor old Marcus, Scar- uh, Lawrence Skarman has this machine that he's made. That's brilliant because he's a, he's invented the radio telescope, hasn't he? Uh, so he's, you know, he's really ahead of his time. I don't think that not enough attention is given to that, that actually uh, uh, the, the world because of the events of periods of Mars, uh, is denied, uh, a technological wizard, um, uh, uh, who who gets treated fairly abominably, um, throughout, um, beware Sutek. I mean, even with two words, Tom Baker can, uh, convey the magnitude of the danger, can't he? Um, and Sarah, and I love that Sarah, you know, you buy that Sarah knows this. I don't know why Sarah is a journalist in her particular field, um, but we buy it. We buy it because there's no reason why she shouldn't either. And it just takes for granted. It doesn't feel the need for her to go. I once did a story about Egyptian mum. Just to take it. She's intelligent enough and she's game enough that we go. No, she will. Have fa- she's found that out at some time, and uh, which means she's, that she can contribute to the adventure. Not because this, this is a particular specialism, but because she's. Uh... Oh, and that bit's that bit's not on the VHS, um, but 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 because she's a. You know, she's a useful contributor to the drama. Um, just the organ. I mean, I, I, it's a great idea, isn't it? Because somebody playing an organ brings in aspects of, you know, the Phantom of the Opera and it and it helps with the soundtrack. But I, I love that it's the playing of the organ that summons the, you know, the servant of Sutek um, because that's it's a useful device not just for, you know it doesn't it could could have been anything but it just helps with the atmosphere and the telling of the story and what they're trying to achieve with it um and it, and it's great because mummies are scary but having a mummy as the as the main protagonist is tricky because mummies don't speak and all of that sort of thing and, and they go well no, we'll we'll have them as sort of background background robot basically the killers the guard dogs but let's make them mummies uh, and this is a great, very short-lived costume, um, and a reminder that when he starts speaking that actually Bernard Archard, to all intents and purposes, you you sort of go that he's he's he must have when he got the scripts they must have put a little post-it note on the front and say, just read beyond episode one because um, you t- you're not dead. I love, I think, oh my God, the 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 fact that he burns footsteps into the carpet is just everybody at the top of their game going well let's let's, uh, just this addition of smoke smoke is fairly simple but they've gone yeah but actually let's have a bit of smoke but let's have it burn the carpet um i mean you see you know you see the footprints in later i don't know if you i don't know if you can really see that is but you can you can uh, because i believe it whether they did or not i think they did um yeah, you can see, you can see that. But he's yeah, he's burnt holes in the carpet, which means what the hell is he going to do to this guy? And you know, Namin has been the main baddie, and he's it's a really good performance. And you think, well, he's going to be around for a bit. Oh no, then who the hell is this guy? And this is such a good cliffhanger: the burning, the screaming, the line, the cut back to the Doctor and Co. looking. It's horrible and brilliant and terrifying and pitch perfect and done uh, by everybody uh and i was gonna choose as my favorite thing tom baker and elizabeth sladen's dynamic slash you know the maudlin universal doctor um which i might have to choose as my as my thing for the whole the whole thing we'll see what happens when we get to episode four because i can't not choose that cliffhanger it's amazing it's one of the best cliffhangers in the history of the show i think it's a work of art i think it's glorious well done paddy russell oh she was boy she was good and didn't get on with tom at all uh, and tom did not get on with her which uh, is something i'm sure i will rattle on about in subsequent episodes. So hoping that Richard, a reminder for casual listeners, I have to choose a favourite thing. I have to, if and if I choose the same thing as my guest, I get a point. Uh, if they choose something I don't choose, they get the point. However, if I choose something now that they choose in a later episode, that's in the bag for me because I'm at such a disadvantage. So I so if I was to choose, say, Tom Baker's hat this episode, and Richard chose it for episode three, I'd still get the point for that. Uh, however, of course, by choosing the cliffhanger, uh, uh, th- th- that can only be chosen now. So that's the risk I take, because I think, well, it's really good. Uh, where And, you know, the Tom Baker-Elizabeth Sladen dynamic, I could pick for any episode, or I could pick for my bonus thing when we do part four, and I have to choose a thing from part four and a bonus thing. So there's a little bit of gamesmanship, going on here but I think that cliffhanger is one of the greatest Doctor Who cliffhangers of all time and so I'm hoping that Richard has chosen it. Shall we find out everybody what Richard Bignall, Doctor Who researcher extraordinaire, has chosen as his favourite
1: thing of part one of Pyramids of Mars? So that was part one. Now what did I choose for my favourite thing in this particular episode? Well, I'm actually going to go with an aspect that could quite possibly be overlooked due to the sheer volume of this person's contribution to Doctor Who. So I'm going to choose Dudley Simpson's Dudley Simpson. music for Pyramids of Mars. It is very good. Now, Dudley always said that this was one of his best scores, and I think I'd probably agree with him. What he was able to achieve with just a tiny group of usually five or six musicians was often quite astounding. And that really comes to the fore with this particular story. You get Simpson's wonderful scene-setting Egyptian music, along with some beautiful themes accompanying various characters throughout the story, that are often quite surprisingly subtle in places where you might conventionally expect the opposite. And Dudley could be really subtle with his music. We'll on a couple of years, and the very first episode of Image of the Fendal, for instance, only has 18 seconds worth of music. Dudley lets the stillness and the quietness of the wood and the priory ramp up the unease and the tension. In Pyramids, the later pursuit of Ernie Clements, which you might expect to be accompanied by some sort of frantic chase music, is actually scored with anything but. But then there's also that superbly mad and discordant organ music that Narmian plays in the priory, and I love the fact that as this cover of the sarcophagus melts away to reveal the vortex behind, we still hear the music magically playing as he rises up and walks away from the organ.
0: Oh, yeah, not just a good choice, but a good explanation. And a few facts in there as well. 18 seconds music in Image of the Fendal. That's uh, something to watch out for. Uh, and there's barely any in episode one of Death to the Daleks either, is there? Um... And yes, indeed, a small, you know, a small number of musicians. I always thought that the music playing was because it was a sign that the, the the thing was coming through when the organ started playing itself. But maybe I just made that up in my head. Uh, I like I like my suggestion. I also like the suggestion that it's the incidental music picking up from where Namin left off. You can choose either of those things. Either work, uh, and and the music helps. Uh, but I th- what didn't what uh, Richard didn't mention that that I did during that was that that rattlesnake uh music during the chase that very bare minimalist uh, stuff which is which is really really effective um yeah dudley simpson good choice but I I couldn't not mention that cliffhanger I couldn't not mention that cliffhanger um well look uh, thanks to richard so he's one up on me uh, and it means I because some of you might have been thinking, well, hang on, Toby, if you choose something for episode one and he chooses it for episode three, you get the point. How's that? Well, because also it means I now can't choose Dudley Simpson uh, because it's been taken. So that's why. I mean, write to the ombudsman if you if you don't like the points system. Um, thanks to Richard. Do check out his work. Um, he does the Now and Then documentaries. His Doctor A Location book is absolutely fantastic. But just... Uh, if you see him online anywhere follow him on nothing at the end of the lane just just tip your hat to him give him a thanks because honestly the 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 scholastic world of doctor who uh, would uh, would be n- not quite so learned uh, without uh, his uh, distinguished and fastidious research and he's not one to blow his own trumpet or indeed play his own organ um that sentence, that sentence went to a place I'm not quite sure it could have done oh dear well uh, I bring Toby's gift I <laughs> gift of double entendre to all humanity uh, not quite the same as the ending to episode one of Pyramids of Mars but my own version thanks so much for listening god I love this story uh, see you speak to you for part two but until then ta-ta thank you so much for listening times and places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, Richard Bignall, who can be found on Twitter at Nothing Lane, capital N, capital L, at Nothing Lane, it's Richard Bignell. I'm very grateful to the patrons of this podcast and other ventures, and they include Ruben Herfindahl, Peter Burns, Peter Harness, Rob Leonard, Stephen Moffat, Richard Straw, Steve Manfred, Tom Neenan, Ronald Hayden... Jeff Walker, Richie, David Trainier, Ian Dean, Andrew Wilson, Ralph Chilton, Paul Carrington, Jenny at Bluebox99, Paul Cook, Peter Crocker, Rob Dawson, John Deere, Chris Junford, kelk Chris Bone, Jason Gorman, Siobhan Galichon, and Ian Key. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Would you like to be a patron? Well, if so, go to patreon.com forward slash or buy that for someone for Christmas. That's only just a to me. <laughs> I'm recording this uh, in the week of Doctor Who's birthday, the week of the 23rd of November. Uh, non-patrons, you will be getting that a lot later than that and you can work out the gap because I don't know quite when this is coming out, but uh, the patrons, they're getting it next week. So uh, however far ahead of the week after the week of Doctor Who's birthday you hear this, that's how far behind... You are the patrons who get stuff much, much earlier, but they also get uh, bonus material and some interviews with actors featured in the stories I've been commentating upon uh, and some random behind the scenes stuff from maybe some of the things I've done on DVD documentaries and things over the years. I've got an archive full of stuff, uh, some of which uh, I've been going through and it's quite interesting. So I pop that on the patron stuff as well, as well as a bonus podcast called Far Too Much Information that is only uh, for patrons so uh, you could go along to there for £3 a month. That's the lowest tier and it's fairly egalitarian. Most stuff is available at the lowest tier uh, and you get a 10% discount off even the lowest tier if you sign up for a year in advance. You may not want to do that, uh, but you may still think that I need some form of sustenance in return for my uh, vocal labours. So you can go to kofi.com forward slash and throw some silver into my coffers whenever you are so uh, able or inclined. But it may be uh, that you can do neither of those things, and that's absolutely fine. Uh, But uh, I'll tell you what's free. and costs you nothing. And I'm grateful to you listening, by the way. But what's free is uh, to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and to give these ventures five stars in the ratings and perhaps a few lines of review so that casual punters can read hopefully your Glowing words and go, I shall give that a try because there's a lot of Doctor Who uh, podcasts out there. And so anything that helps my algorithms stand out from those of other people just uh, gives this a little boost and means that uh, the labours aren't wasted. Thank you ever so much. I'm on Twitter at Toby Haydoke. These have their own Twitter feed at Haydock Podcasts. And I do a live comedy show in Manchester at 8 pm every Tuesday at Excess Malarkey Comedy Club, which I have run and emceed for the past 24 years. There is an internet version of the show that we started up during lockdown, and we're continuing with that on a monthly basis, 8pm at twitch.tv forward slash Excess a live comedy show from the Comedians' Living Rooms all over the world. We've had uh, comics from the States, from Australia, from New Zealand, uh, and even from Wigan uh so uh, check that out and uh, that's it as i say 8 p.m on the first sunday of every month however there is an archive and selected clips and best bits up there right now if uh, if you want to go and check that out and see uh, what is available and uh, i'd love to very much see you at one of the live shows one of these days thanks thanks again should really have a script for these last bits shouldn't i uh, but you know and I, I should i should i say when i'm recording these i'm actually recording this at three minutes past five on the 25th of november thursday the 25th of november 2022 so who knows when you're listening to this because like the signal the radio signal from mars there's a bit of a delay but please you know, don't send me down a kaleidoscopic sparkly sarcophagus to my doom. All right. Bye.